Last week, we opened up a series, a new series. The title of it is Keeping It Real. And we want to say that Cornerstone wants to identify ourselves as real people doing real life, following a real God. Okay? The real thing. And uh, we discussed what happens here at church, and really any church, what happens there really, really matters to God. I told you about our design team and how we ask God to pinpoint exactly and only what he wants us to do and how to do it. First of all, we took Jesus' mission statement. Jesus said, go make disciples and do it this way and this way and this way. We boil that all down into one simple phrase. Our mission is to make disciples, period, cut and dry. Then we defined what a disciple is. We said a disciple, a true disciple, is a follower of Jesus Christ who is continually being transformed into his image. After discovering that only God can actually transform a person, we realized all we can do to make disciples is to provide a process, a process that will create this environment where God can do that transformation. And then we would enroll people, including ourselves, in that process. We ended up with a three-part process. Celebrating God, connecting with his people, and reaching out to people who are hurting or missing from God's kingdom. So celebrate, connect, and reach. See, what's our next slide look like? Oh, well, just leave it there. I must have skipped a slide in there. Sorry, guys. Anyway... (laughs) These were three things, three things, this celebrate, connect, and reach, that we were absolutely convinced that a Christ follower should be engaged in. Otherwise, transformation, at least the transformation God wants to do, is not really going to be happening. And to practice this three-part process, we use one primary program for each part. Okay, if all that sounds crazy and confusing, don't worry, it's, it's really not that bad, and you'll get it as we keep going through the series. To help us remember that we must be actively and continually involved in the three-part process, we're using the visual metaphor of an infinity sign. So picture that figure-eight movement. We're always moving through that process. And we have Christ at the center. Is that, there it is? That's... The cross representing Jesus Christ. We never can forget that he is the chief cornerstone. Thus our name. There is a reason why the church is named Cornerstone. It's named after Jesus. Okay? And then we align everything we do around that whole idea. Okay, so that's a quick overview of the process. You'll hear more about it each week. But let's get into the details of that first part, celebrating God. Okay, this is the the vertical part, the upward part. You see the raised hands back there. That's what that's representing, okay? Um, This raises a question. It's that question I had in my prayer. How can I really love God? Really, how do I do this? Love for God is the absolute beginning of, of a disciple. Okay, it's where it all has to start. 
you start to celebrate this great love of God because Jesus sent, uh, God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die in our place, causing our love to grow for him. We partly describe this disciple as one who is growing in his or her love for God. Here's what Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, don't just skim over that. But think about how huge the love factor is in loving someone with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And not just your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Now, really, how in the world could anybody do that? I mean, think about that. Every thought, every action, everything is all about loving God. Now, I don't think we can do that at least not until something else happens first. We must first experience God's love. We've got to go through some of it, that great love he has for us. You see, it's not the same as that bonding that happens between a mommy and a newborn. We've had a few babies born here lately. And you probably know what I'm talking about. That, that baby comes and, and the mommy holds it for the first time and There's just this natural bonding that takes place. It's not that way with God. It's not a natural thing to just immediately bond with God. People are typically pushing off of God. I mean, that all happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and we're all born into that same seed. All right? So it's not natural for us to just oh, I think I'll try God. I love God. It's always been in me. You know, he's got to put that in you. Here's an idea with that. Uh, many people, there are many people who think God is this harsh guy with a big stick up there in the sky, and he's just waiting for you to mess up so he can whack you. That's how a lot of people think of God. But to fix that, they need an adjustment. Remember that series we did? I think it was when I first got here. About a year ago, uh, our view of him, our image of God, we need to kind of adjust that. You see, it's hard for people to see God as love if he's got a big stick. John said it very simply. The biggest truth about God, he said, God is love. You can't get much simpler than that. Now, that's huge in its definition, but to state it, That's pretty simple. God is love. And we can only learn to love God when we learn how much he loves us. Again, John simplifies things and he says, we love him because he first loved us. There's that thing about we don't come up with the idea. He puts it in us. I want you to watch this guy on a video kind of describe loving God. Let it roll around in your head a little bit. Watch him. years, I went to church because, well, because you're supposed to. 
but there were things about it that just didn't seem right. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a lot of times I found myself looking around thinking, is this what God had in mind? Okay, okay, let's say this. Let's say I bring my wife home some flowers. I mean, these are some beautiful flowers. Like, I try to get the colors just right, and you know the drill. And I bring them in the house, and I give them to her, and she's, like, blown away. And she takes out a vase, and she smiles, and she just says, this means so much that you were thinking of me. I'm so surprised. And, and what if I say, well, I'm your husband. It's my duty. It just doesn't work for you, does it? Or what if I said to her, well, you know what, there was a sale, and like, I, I wasn't even really thinking of you, but it wasn't really a hassle, they were cheap, and, and, and I, I figured, no, it's not a big deal. Or what if I just said to her, like, well, I figured you needed them. Does she even want the flowers anymore? No. Why? Because she wants my heart. And if she doesn't have my heart, my words and my actions don't mean a thing. Is this how God feels? One of the central prayers of Jesus' life was called the Shema. Part of it goes like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. I mean, we can go to Mass or services or prayers every day. I mean, we can, we can sing all the right songs and we can recite all the right prayers. But if it's just going through the motions. I mean, what's the point? God says in the book of Isaiah, these people, they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Sometimes we have to stop and ask, why do we do what we do? To keep the family happy? So that I don't feel guilty? making an appearance at the right place at the right time, wearing the right clothes so that I can be seen by the right people. The scriptures remind us that God doesn't want the empty ritual. God wants our hearts. So how do we practice loving God? Well, we have one primary program to practice this. It's right here. Sunday celebration. The hour or so we spend each week. Now, there are many ways to practice loving God. Many places to love God. But this is the program into which Cornerstone Church invests time, energy, money, people, many resources in order to make disciples who are engaged in loving God. It's how we create that environment where God can be experienced, where he can transform people through that experience. So I want to go through some things about Sunday celebration, uh, things that um, are included to help us all practice loving God. This is practice for heaven, all right? Hopefully when we do it here right, it can help you do it outside of here right. But this is the program to be enrolled in to experience God's transforming love. To create that atmosphere, we intentionally include initiators, I'll call them. 
initiators. Here are three of them today. First of all is the blessing. The thing we receive when we come in, that blessing, that touch, whatever it is. You see, a disciple, again, must receive the love of God in order to love Him. When Christ followers gather together, there should be a feeling of hope and joy and all the good things of God. Since we're not coming here to be tortured or something like that, we should have a good feeling about it. We should have an expectancy that something really good is going to happen right here. And there should be a welcoming spirit, not just from God, but from each one of us. Just the atmosphere itself, just the air, should be a blessing to anyone who walks in this place. I'm sure most of us do not count up all the hours all the time, all all the amount of money that it takes to put this program on every week. We don't always know the level of stress that goes on inside of people who want to do a great job with their solo or, or the Sunday school class they're going to teach or the food they're going to prepare or whatever the job they do to put this thing on every week. But if you did, if you realized what all went into it, I'm sure you would realize how amazingly blessed you are to be here. I'm not bragging. I'm saying there's a lot that goes on, and you should feel that blessing when you come in. Because the main reason it's done is so that every person that drives on the property can experience the love of God. Every one of us. Now, you should be aware that there are some people who find it hard to receive love. could be something from their childhood, something more recent. Um, It kind of creates a barrier that's hard to penetrate. But that's no reason to believe that God cannot break through that barrier. If we continue to practice the love of God during Sunday celebration, the stage is set for someone else to experience his love. Eventually, instead of seeing life as a dead end for people who find it hard to receive love, eventually they'll see the reason we love and the reason we hope. Here's something we need to grasp. It's going to sound like old history, but we've got to grasp this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. That could be a whole sermon right there. That's the reason to love and to have hope. All the ingredients of this 60 to 90 minutes you're here are designed to support the idea that God loves us and that should make us want to love him back. I want to share a letter with you that shows this so it's kind of what I'm talking about, the blessing. This was from a woman who uh, attended the church I was at down in Georgia. And uh, she had only been attending for a few weeks. She wrote this to us. It's 11.30 p.m., the evening of Easter Sunday. The joy I feel has caused my heart to burst, tears to flow, goosebumps to rise, and some kind of dancing is going on in the pit of my stomach. I feel the nudge to write this letter and give credit where credit is due. So first of all, I praise God. 
She's giving God the thanks for what you're about to hear. Doesn't matter what it is. She says, today I was so blessed by the Holy Spirit's work through many of you at church. Most, if not all of you, probably have no clue what God has done through some of your simple acts. As we stood singing songs, the couple in front of us probably had no idea what an impact and a blessing it had on my husband and I, seeing his arm around her waist. I'm sure our God, who knows all, purposely placed them directly in front of us. David, your lighthearted conversation and witty joking broke through some ironclad walls of what I can only guess is nervousness and defensiveness. That was good news. I can still tell jokes. Okay. (laughs) Many ladies struck up casual conversations with me and helped me through my own fear and nervousness. God used you women to help me feel as though I belonged, even though I've only been attending a short time. This feeling of belonging is one I have missed for a long time. Even the person who brought the cutout shapes of cheese, exclamation point, she wrote. My giddy children took such delight in eating cheese that it gave us a reason to laugh and relax. Don't think if you're involved in that snack team back there that you don't matter. Even though Jesus Christ is the one to be praised, so many of you were his instruments, and I just wanted to say thanks. Sincerely, Christine. Christine received the blessing, and this helped her love God more. You notice how much she gave God the thanks. And I would venture to say that because she was practicing loving God at that service, she grew as a disciple. Now, not only should a disciple receive the blessing of God's love, but a disciple must also understand some of this love, understand it in a real way. This blessing part, maybe you could consider that the right brain thing. You know, it's kind of the emotional, the touchy-feely thing. But this next initiator is more left brain. It's more of the logical stuff. And it's the teaching. The teaching that happens on Sunday morning. We want a program where the teaching of God's Word is central and it's uncompromised. And we want it to be creatively done and practically presented. So learning about God can be a positive experience. Many of us have a hard time with authority. The Bible is, is an authority. There's, it's a book that isn't just a, a storybook that somebody put together. It's the Word of God. But a lot of people have trouble with that authority thing. Like I said earlier, God or people see God as this guy with a big stick wanting to whack you. But That's the complete opposite of God. God intends for his rules to be positive, not negative. And listen to what Jesus says. The person who knows my commandments or laws and keeps them, that's who loves me. You keep the commandments of God and Jesus knows that's who's loving me. The person who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and make myself plain to him. You want Jesus to make himself clear to you? Then obey what he says. It just happens that way. 
Let me give you an example of this. We all know what God says about adultery in the seventh commandment. Most people just look at the negative side of this. You can't have any fun. You have to deny yourself of that pleasure that everybody else seems to enjoy. Why can't I? Well, God is not trying to take away some fun thing. Who do you think invented sex? Why would he take it away? He's not trying to do that. The reason he laid down the law is because he loves us. And he puts stuff out a certain way and he wants it to be followed a certain way because he knows the hurt that's caused when you do it a different way. He knows about the pain when a person cheats on their spouse. He knows about the deception when a guy lies to a girl just to get her in bed. He knows about the danger we put ourselves in when we get into places that aren't safe with people we don't even know. The rule is there to protect us because he loves us. Another teaching that people get out of context is God's statement that he hates divorce. Some people think, well, that means if I get a divorce, then I've really blown it and God hates me. Not true. That's completely false. God hates divorce because he knows the unbelievable devastation that happens when men and women and children and even extended family members are involved in that. He hates divorce because it hurts the one he loves, you. A disciple should be learning and understanding more and more about this vast ocean of love that God has for us. That's the only way we're going to be inspired to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. That's the only way it's going to happen. The teaching gives us more opportunity to understand the love of God. I know I probably just pricked a couple of hearts with those two examples, but I want you to know, my point is, I want you to know how much God loves you no matter what you've done. He loves you. One more initiator for celebrating God, the praising. The praising. You know, all that singing stuff, all that crazy wild stuff with a rock and roll band in church. How could you do that? (laughs) As with most churches, We spend a considerable amount of time singing and praising, engaging in some kind of worship time. Now, worship includes all kinds of things other than singing, but I'm just going to focus on that. It's not like we're very original on this idea. Did you know that a lot of the Bible was sung? The Psalms. All they are is 150 sets of lyrics for songs. Many Bible historians believe that the whole book of Isaiah was sung. And that's a long book. The whole book was sung. We sing our songs here. When we, when we do that, we are either directly quoting from the Bible or we're singing about a principle from it. Now, this has nothing to do with style. Every church has a thumbprint of how their song style goes. But more important than the style is the content of what is being sung. The words we sing must have a communication with God. 
We either sing about him or we sing to him. Sometimes we listen to lyrics of him singing to us. Did you know he does that? There's a Bible verse that says he he, uh, rejoices over us with singing. Just picture God sitting on his throne singing love songs to us. Speaking of love songs, I want to say a word about the emotion of singing, especially to the men. Singing fight songs at a college football team or beating war drums before the battle starts, all right, we can participate in that pretty easily. That's kind of normal for us. But when it comes to love songs, that's a different story. I mean, really, love songs in front of everybody? That's a little uncomfortable, unless maybe you're a rock singer and you're getting big bucks for doing it. But pretty much it's awkward for men. That is, unless you're in love. You remember how it is in high school or college. You got one of these jock guys, you know, one of the the gang leader types or maybe even the bully of school. We'll just call them the non-singers. Okay, the non-love song singers. You just never see this guy doing anything that remotely resembles ushy-gushy stuff. But then he gets a girlfriend. And all of a sudden, you think this guy has lost his mind. (laughs) All of a sudden, now there's kissing and hugging and goo-goo eyes and all that stuff without any concern about what anybody else thinks. Why? Because he's in love. The attention now is no longer on trying to impress everyone on, on campus. Now it's all about focusing on the one he's in love with. Perhaps that's a similar thing that should happen when it comes to being in love with Jesus Christ. Now you guys know me pretty much. I've been here about a year now. I actually, I think last week was my anniversary, my one-year anniversary. So I've been here about a year, and you probably know that I'm not all that affectionate in public. You know, you don't see me over in the corner making out with Terry very often. Okay? <laughs> but when I feel certain butterflies in my stomach because maybe she's done something or said something that makes me realize how much I love her. Well, I may give her a little squeeze or a little peck on the lips, and I do it in front of God and everybody. I don't care what others think because I love my wife. Hmm, getting a little butter. Terry, come on up. Let's make out. (laughs) Sorry. You should have seen her face. (laughs) Oh, boy. I'm blushing. Well, the more we receive and understand God's love, the less we worry about what other people think. The more we recognize His presence in our Sunday celebration, the more we'll find that He's transforming us into better people. And there's just something about singing praises to God that ushers in His presence in ways that cannot be explained. Psalm 23, 22.3 says, Yet you are holy. That song Ashley sang, you're holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Another translation says, He sits 
on the praises of his people. Now, I know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. But for about 30 years now, I've been trying to find a logical reason why he seems to be more present when we sing. And I just can't figure it out. I don't know why. He must like it when we sing. And it's a way we can celebrate the love of God, receiving his love and giving it back to him. Well, those are three initiators included in Sunday celebration to help us practice loving God. Remember, it's practice. The blessing, the teaching, the praising. Three initiators. But what's the outcome of all this? And and this outcome is going to be the same outcome as we go through this series. You're going to hear this at the end of every message. And that is the experience of God's transformation. That's the outcome. Since we're trying to create an environment for God to be continually transforming us, the result should be that we experience that transformation. We should sense in one way or another that God is making us more like Christ through this three-part process. So you're going to hear me mention it during each part because we need to remember that we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, glory to glory, more and more, which comes from the Lord. When it comes to Sunday celebration, and I've said this before, we should come here each time expecting to meet God. We should really expect to meet him. We should believe in a conscious way that the presence of a loving and very real God should help us to walk out of here differently than we walked in. And for the sake of friends and guests, family members, everyone, we should do everything in our ability to create the kind of atmosphere that will give the Holy Spirit of God an open door for him to come do his work. So our application is pretty straightforward. Make Sunday celebration a regular part of your week. I understand things come up. I know you go on vacation and you're gone a Sunday or two. I know there's times that maybe come up where Sunday's the only day out of the month you can do a certain thing. Maybe it's with the family. Well, maybe bring the family to church and include that as part of it. The point I'm trying to make is this is not a religious duty. This is not a way for you to earn brownie points. Oh, I came to church today, God. You must be happy with me. That's not what it's for. It's a way for you to put yourself intentionally in a week-to-week program to practice celebrating our great God and experience the transformation that's being done in you, his disciple. I mean, that seems pretty simple to me. The only reason we really come here is to celebrate God. I know that's got all kinds of pieces to it, but if you'll just boil it down to that, and come here next week and think, you know, I know, I'm, I know exactly why I'm going to church. I'm celebrating God. Deal? Deal? All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Um, your love never fails. It never gives up. You're so holy, and we have a hard time understanding that. 
you're, you are so awesome. You're so powerful. You're so perfect. And God, you probably are easy to love on the surface. But God, I pray that we would learn to love you deeply. That your love for us would, would go down deep. Deep in our spirit. And, and that we would just explode. Just like your word says, that we would be rivers of living water coming back out to worship you and love you and celebrate you. And we thank you for this time to do it each week. In Jesus' name, amen.